Where's a good station? Glory. Glory. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again, relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill, and I'm here with longtime friend and guardian of the grace, guard dog Steve. Hello, everybody. Glad that you're here, too. You're the most important. Well, how's your week going, Steve? It's, it's doing okay. I'm actually psyched about this podcast. Did You, you got a little feedback too from some people yes and i i did too i think they like that cohortative hebrew yeah like word yeah. study word study yeah and i was thinking about that cohortative just to review meant a cohortative verb indicated purpose yes and it's always in the first person i or we i will do this we will do this it indicates the, the purpose but there's a big difference when I say I'm going to do something. That's may or may not happen. Yeah, but with God, there's a big difference. And I think it's what's the anchor for the soul was the fact that God, and in Hebrews brings that out in chapter 6, God wanting to demonstrate the immutability. Yeah, I went King James on you, Steve. Yeah, buddy. Immutability. What? What's just, NAS? Unchangeableness. Unchangeableness. Yeah. yeah. I just like that word. Yeah. Immutability. The unchangeableness of His purpose. He swore it with an oath. Remember, the second time God has a a dialogue with Abraham is when He uh, gets the the covenant. Yes. And He wants him this. He wants Abraham to know the unchangeableness of his purpose. And this affects us, too, today. Yes, yes. Should so, I read that verse in Hebrews 6? Yeah, could you? Yes. In the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his purpose, he proposed with an oath in order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. We have strong encouragement because God, way back then, wore with an oath. He made a covenant, Abraham, even though Abraham was asleep. So that's what it says there. He swore by himself. Yes. A covenant is usually two-sided. Right. But God said, I'm making the covenant with myself, and I'm swearing by myself. So by two unchangeable things, 
where one, it's impossible for God to lie. Just him saying it is enough. But he went further and he swore by himself with an oath so that by two unchangeable things, he swore with an oath and it's impossible for him to lie. We who fled to take hold of this hope can be greatly encouraged and we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. That's what we experience now. No matter what storms life goes through, even on Abraham's life, he was faced with famine. His wife couldn't get pregnant. Um, he had the problems with Lot. But he could have strong encouragement because God swore with an oath, even though he was asleep. But I, I wanted to show the difference between when God says, Yeah, his and we just have to look purpose. at the the life of Abraham because he told Abraham to leave the country and not take any relatives with him but he took relatives and that was the end of God's plan it should seem yeah yeah right out of the box he took Lot right but then he made Lot think about going to Egypt and went not Lot I'm sorry he made Abraham think about going to Egypt and when he went to Egypt he became afraid of the Egyptian king and told Sarah to say she was his sister so that the king could rape her but the king God's plan came through and the king didn't rape her and the king actually gave them people as in male servants and female servants. The king actually gave Abraham people and cattle and sheep and all kinds of jewelry and gold and everything. But that is what it was like, a picture-perfect example of what it was like to not be under the Mosaic law because Abraham would have been smite down. Stoned. Stoned if he had done all this lying and gave his wife away and everything, but he wasn't under the law. So God just orchestrated Abraham's life and got Abraham back on track with Lot and with a lot more possessions than they ever wanted. And God actually used this abundance of possessions and gold in ways down the road, but right it eventually, off It eventually split them up. It did. It made a... A big fight. All part of God's plan to get Abraham by himself. But this was all part of God's cohortative purpose. But then we go on with the life of Abraham. Right. Because God's purpose is immutable. Immutable. And according to God's immutable plan, God comes back down to visit Abraham and actually gives him the Abrahamic covenant where God said, I'm going to do everything. Abraham was actually asleep. God comes back to Abraham and says, in a year, you're going to have a son. And what does it say? It says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man a hundred years old? He fell on his face and laughed at God. This is after 
having sex with his maidservant, which was a whole nother catastrophe that didn't thwart God's plan at all. But here Abraham is not believing. Does that stop God's plan? It is immutable, it says. And we have to get our mind around this because we're not used to that concept. It doesn't matter how Abraham believes. God's just doing his thing through Abraham and around Abraham. God's just doing his thing. Just like he does his thing through us and around us because we're not under the law. Right. If you think we're saying this because we're saying... See, you can just do whatever you want. You're missing it. We're saying this because no matter how many times you fail or no matter how many times, not even, it doesn't just have to be that you fail, but sometimes it looks like it's going this way and it's like, oh, it's over. It's all falling apart. It's all true. That's where you can be greatly encouraged. That's where the immutability of his purpose comes in. That's why that's your anchor for the soul. That story is there for to be an anchor for your soul so that you know that God is going to work all things for the good of those who loved him and are called according to his purpose. And like you mentioned last week, according to the purpose of his will, too. The counsel he works out all things according to the counsel of of his his will. will. So even after Abraham laughed at God, fell on his face and laughed at God, God comes back again, same time next year, and says, this season next year, you're going to have a child, Sarah. And she laughed to herself. And God said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah said, I didn't laugh. And God smited her down with a lightning. Right there. Just end of Sarah. Yep. End of the cohortative plan. They finally. Nothing. He didn't even bat an eye. He just said, Yes, you did, Sarah. That's it. That's it. That's it. And then they went on to make a joke about it because he named the child laughter. That's what Isaac's name means is laughter because she laughed at him, but it wasn't going to stop God's plan. And they weren't under the law, so they weren't getting smited for all those things. Their crops weren't drying up, their rivers weren't drying up, no locusts, nothing but prosperity for them. No cause and effect. No cause and effect. Relationship in this cohortative, immutable purpose of God Almighty, because that's the name he uses when he shows up again, El Shaddai. El Shaddai, go ahead. Meaning God all-powerful, almighty, is going to carry this out. Is going to carry this out. And a year later, in spite of all Abraham and Sarah's shenanigans, giving their maidservant to Abraham, giving Sarah to the king, laughing at God in spite of all that, they had a child, just like God said. Exactly like God said. And they were never cursed or punished or pummeled, nothing. No timeouts. No, and that is what it's like for us 
who live in the new covenant. That was the Abrahamic covenant where God just got what he needed to do done. And now we live in the new covenant where God just gets what he needs to do done and he doesn't punish us. Because he punished Jonah, who was under the law, he ate him up with a fish because Jonah was going the wrong direction. But that's what it's like to be under the law. You get eaten by a fish. But it's, it's interesting that in Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, he said, no longer do I call you servants, like what people are under the law, but I call you friends because a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I call you friends. I let you know my purposes. In the Under the law that we were just talking about, not a single person was ever called the friend of God. They were servants. David, the beloved, yeah. was never called the friend of God. Moses was never called the, the friend, friend of God. God. But Abraham was called the friend, friend of God. Because he wasn't under that covenant. And neither are we. That's the point. That's why Jesus said, no longer are you going to be called servants. But we will be called friends of God. Amen. Having Amen. the same benefit that Abraham lived under and being viewed as friends of God, like Abraham was called the friend of God. Yes. Amen. Bill, you just said something important. You said he was viewed as friends of God. I want us to go to this next passage. It, it's in Romans 4 because it also is going to show how Abraham was viewed by God and it's going to give you so much comfort and allow you to calm down so much and know that God loves you and believes the best about you because this passage it says it was written for our benefit meaning the new covenant believers benefit this passage what Paul is about to say was written for the new covenant believers benefit. So I want us to benefit from this, comparing it to Abraham's life. Verse 16 of Romans chapter four, Romans four sixteen. For this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain. The promise was certain because God made it certain and it was nothing to do with Abraham's performance. And it says not only to those who are under the law, but also those who are the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all, and then get a load of what it says next. This is so comforting. It says, as it is written, a father of many nations I have made you in the sight of him who believed even God, who gives life to the dead and calls things that do not exist as though they existed. Do you get that? He calls things that don't exist as if they do exist. And what is the example he gives us after saying he calls things that aren't there as though they're there? It's the example of Abraham's life, the life that we've gone over in the last podcast and 
the beginning of this podcast, the Yahoo Abraham. It says, in hope against hope, Abraham and believed that he might become the father of many nations according to that which has been spoken. So shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and he contemplated the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief when he was falling down on his face and laughing at God. But he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to to perform, therefore it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now it's not for his sake only it is written that it was reckoned to him as righteous, but for our sake also to whom it will be reckoned as righteousness to those who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. It's for our benefit. He said he didn't write the story of Abraham for the sake of Abraham. He wrote it for the sake of us. And we saw Abraham as a complete Yahoo. But under this new covenant, God sees Abraham as never wavering in unbelief, growing strong in faith, being fully assured that what God had promised he was able to perform, fully assured when he said to Sarah, go, go say you're my sister, did he seem fully assured that God was going to protect him? Or did he say, I'm going to die unless you let them rape you? you I'm not see? seeing any of the things that is mentioned in, in Romans 4. No, uh, and that's how God sees us. We see each other as just being a yahoo. We've had a terrible day and we're so embarrassed about ourselves, but God sees us as totally blessed and righteous. That's the key to the whole new covenant, Steve. Remember it, it says the covenant will not be like the old covenant, the law. He says in this covenant, I will be merciful to all their iniquities. And Abraham had quite a few iniquities and their sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. Because I was remembered six or seven while you were reading that. Right, but did God remember any of his lawless deeds? Not a single one. Not a single one. He talked about Abraham as if Abraham was the coolest cat on the earth. Neither did the Holy Spirit remember any of them because the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that. Yes, yes. And it says in Hebrews, the Holy Spirit says, your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's what the Holy Spirit says to you when you have had a bad, bad day. The Holy Spirit convicts you that you are righteous. That's what in Corinthians it says. The ministry of the Spirit is righteousness. The Spirit ministers to you that you are righteous and that your sins and lawless deeds 
God will remember no more. God will see you just like he saw Abraham. Half the reason the story of Abraham is in the Old Testament was so that he could say, look, I don't remember any of this about Abraham and I won't remember it about you. He put Abraham through all that just for your benefit, it says, so that you will have the comfort of knowing that God does not look at your sins in this new covenant. He just doesn't see them. This is written for your benefit. So benefit from it, please. And that's how the you participate in the new covenant, by realizing that your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. In fact, if you're conscious of your sin, it's almost impossible to experience the Spirit. Right. You have to have a, a clean conscience. Yes. He yes. says, but they all shall know me or experience me from the least to the greatest because their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. So there's a key to realizing that God is not counting your sins against you. And more than that, not just not counting your sins against you, you get credited with this gift of righteousness. Yes, amen. Isn't that exactly what, what Paul brings out in Galatians 3 when he says, mm-hmm. well, going back to the promise we had in, in Hebrews 6, where he says, I will multiply you and bless you. I will bless you as I multiply you. And I will keep. I will give you this promise. And Paul brings it out in Galatians three. He says that we are blessed with Abraham with this thing called the gift of righteousness. So the blessing is the gift of righteousness, and the promise brings it out a little later in in Galatians three is the Holy Spirit something Abraham didn't have back then, at least not a consistent thing, but we now have the promise of the Spirit. But like Abraham, we got credited. The gift was being declared righteous even when you went down to Egypt to get a sandwich because you were hungry and allowed your wife to get raped, possibly. Yeah, for a sandwich. For a sandwich. Yeah. But that's not counted against him. No. And it's not counted against us, even though we've had a bad day, even though we've chumped our neighbor and and told him something that wasn't true and caused him to go down a destructive path. And it, it allowed us to benefit, but we chumped our neighbor. And now our conscience is killing us. God sees us just like he saw Abraham. He sees us as holy and blameless in his sight because he chose to see that we were holy and blameless in his sight. Do you know when he chose us? Before the creation of the world, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's Ephesians 1. Amen. This is good news. This is how God sees you. And you just bump along in life. And sometimes you let your friends down and you owe them an apology. 
and you you need to make it right with your friends and you're always trying to live the best you can with your friends and when you're not measuring up you run to God having having your conscience sprinkled clean of an evil conscience having a con- a clear conscience is a gift from God it's a gift and it's part of the new covenant he- Hebrews 10 says that the old covenant was the opposite. It was a reminder of your shortcomings. It was a reminder of your faults. It was a reminder of you going down to Egypt to get a sandwich and risk having your wife raped. It reminded of those year by year, but he says, now we have a clear conscience, something the law could never do, something that you you said under the law, okay, from now on, God, count on me. I'm going to, I'm recommitted. I'm, I'm going to do better this time. I have a cohort, cohortative purpose. Yes. And I, my cohortative purpose is immutable. It's yes. not going to change. Yes. And that's never going to happen again. You're right. It's not going to happen. <laughs> You're not going to do your cohortative purpose. No, but the thing is, God will do his. And when we do, we go back to Ephesians that you just quoted that we are holy blameless, joined to him, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. He did it. Yes. This idea of being declared righteous in God's sight, this idea that we're holy and blameless, just takes your mind and just catapults it into heavenly realms. And you're just full of the joy of the Lord. Thank you, Which becomes your strength. And the trials that come along now, and they do. And they do. And they get us off track. Yes. But we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. That's the good news. The hope that he's going to be in us doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. He's the hope of restoring your marriage. He's the hope of making your wife look at you with loving eyes again. He's your hope. He's inside of you, and he is your hope of glory. He can do it for you. That's what he came here to do, to serve you. He's your servant. I did not come here to be served, but to serve. He's in you, and he's your servant, and he's a servant to the people around you, and he will carry on his task till the day of completion. Everything that it's meant for God to do through, have Jesus do through you, gets done and you get an A for the day just like Abraham did. I love that quote that Guard Dog Steve quotes a lot. Yeah. Doing for you what you can't do for yourself. That was the promise because the promise was the Holy Spirit. Yes. That does for you what you can't do for yourself. Yes. Now, Abraham didn't have that promise fulfilled yet, but he did have the same blessing. Yes. The blessing was the gift of Of righteousness. righteousness. And Lot had that blessing, too. Yeah, and where it's in in Peter. Lot almost was worse than Abraham, if you can believe it. Yeah, yeah. If you really analyze Lot's life, he was giving his daughters to up the perverts. To, to, to the perverts, virgin daughters to perverts. But he, he's mentioned, and it's the same way Abraham. He was 
godly man tortured in his godly soul. <laughs> he, he was spoken of as holy and blameless. Calling things that are not as though they were. Yes, as though he was a righteous man, as though Abraham was a righteous man. History does not record Abraham as a righteous man, but God records Abraham as a righteous man. That's where the good news is. It's recorded in the book of the life of the, the lamb. lamb. Yes. And so is your life and my life. Yes. And all the guardians of grace life. And the promise was to what? All nations? Yes. All peoples? Yes. All families? Yes. So I'm included in there somewhere. Amen. Just to get kind of personal, Steve, maybe I don't like to share a lot about my personal life, but I would say a guilty conscience is probably my biggest Achilles heel. It, it, it cripples me when I just make a commitment to do something better, not do something anymore, and I fail man, it just kills me. I walk around with a condemned conscience and I just cannot bounce back and and go, God sees me as good. God Mm -hmm. sees me as good. I'm crippled by it because I've failed to take the proper point of view that God is, is sharing here. And I have a guilty conscience. And part of my confusion, I was always taught that a guilty conscience is good. I've heard that too, and it's not. That's coming from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. (laughs) Yeah, good guilt. Yeah. Well, it's not good guilt. No. And it's a crippler. It is. And so I think it's not just me. I, I would say it's probably the number one reason people maybe quit going to church. They give up on Christianity altogether because well meaning people have told them to measure up measure up stop sinning join the promise keepers or make a commitment to turn over a new leaf keep the law all these things and they lead us into doing things that condemn our conscience so bad that we just want to quit yes just on a personal level i would say a guilty conscience is cripples me more than anything there is. You were going to go into Hebrews 10, I think, weren't you? I think we should because it's... It says something about this guilty conscience. conscience. Yeah, and it tells us what the ministry of the Spirit is, and it parallels the Romans 4 where God just described Abraham as an ultra-righteous person, even though we know he wasn't. It's the same thing God describes Bill as an ultra-righteous person, even though he doesn't feel it from time to time. The Spirit does. And I was always told that the Holy Spirit's ministry was to convict the Christian of his sin. Yeah. You that's were told blasphemy that. of the Holy Spirit. It's actually, if you break it read down. the verse, it says he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Yes. And then it says... He convicts them of sin because they do not believe in Jesus. Yeah. And then it goes on to say, you are not of the world. <laughs> you're so not it doesn't the... convict you. It convicts you that you're not believing the gospel is what it is. And the gospel is declaring you 
righteousness. Okay, that's exactly what it says the Holy Spirit says. Let me let me just read this. Verse 14 of Hebrews 10. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying this is the covenant that i will make with them after those days says the lord i will put my laws on their heart and upon their minds i will put them and their sins and lawless deeds i will remember no more that's what the holy spirit said that's what the bible just said the holy spirit said i didn't say it the Bible said, the Holy Spirit says, your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Then it goes on to say, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is also no longer any offering for sin. We should have the confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which Jesus inaugurated for us through his flesh. Let us draw near with sincere heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, having our conscience sprinkled clean. That's what Romans 4 was supposed to do. Sprinkle your conscience clean because it showed how God viewed Abraham and it showed you how God views you as somebody who is holy and blameless in his sight. God loves you. He's not out to get you. So let me tell you what that means to me. Okay. It, it means that I can be honest with myself. I can realize that I do have shortcomings. Yes. Even though I have shortcomings, I have the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. Do for me what I can't do for myself. That makes me dependent on the Holy Spirit. Second of all, I have this promise that my sins and lawless deeds are never counted against me, never put back in my face, never brought up between our relationship with with God and myself. So now I know that I have a clear conscience with God. He sees me as holy and blameless. I know I have shortcomings. And I know I have the Holy Spirit to do for me what I can't do for myself. So now I have a formula for success. I can realize my shortcomings, realize how I say one thing to a friend and then I let them down. But now I don't have to pretend like I I didn't, you know, offend them. Mm-hmm. I can be honest with them. Yes. Because it doesn't affect my relationship with the Holy Spirit. No. He's with he's not counting my sins against me. He's not convicting me. The word convict means to be held guilty. I know, way. really. Yeah. Yeah. It's a judicial term. It's a judicial term, but he's also called our paracletus, which is the name they give a defense attorney. Right. So, <laughs> so the Holy Spirit is the prosecuting attorney and your yeah, defense yeah, attorney. Yeah. How does that work? It doesn't. No. But knowing this, Steve, so 
when my shortcomings come out, and they do, I don't have to hide from them. I don't boast about them and brag about them, but it allows me to go, hey, Steve, that wasn't cool what I said to you yesterday. I just ripped your face off when I told you to leave the tools out that I needed by the uh, door, and you left them out by the back door, and I thought they were left out from the front door, and I just ripped your face off about it. You're over that now, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I can say I'm sorry. I can say, hey, I wronged you. I don't have to say I wronged you, but if you'd left them out by the front door, this wouldn't have happened. You do realize that. Right. And and make excuses. This, for the full time, allows you to be just deal honestly with your shortcomings and not just say, well, they're all forgiven. It's like, yeah, they're all forgiven, but I also want to overcome them. Right. That's the beauty of having the spirit to do for you what you can't do for yourself. It can cause you to live an exemplary Christian life. You can flourish as a Christian. Flourish in righteous behavior. So you come to terms with your weaknesses. Yes. And then they become your strengths. Your yes. weaknesses become your strengths because you rely on the strength of the Holy Spirit, not your gritting your teeth, clenching your fists, making immutable promises that you can't keep, writing checks you can't cash. It's just awesome. It is. And that's what we're trying to bring people to, is to living a righteous Christian life. We want everybody to be sinless and to be proud of themselves by the power of God. We want you to blossom as a Christian. We're not promoting sin or saying you can sin as much as you want and you're cool with God, but we're saying that God remembers your sins and lawless deeds no more and he's placed his spirit in you to do for you what you can't do for yourself. In other words, we've done this podcast to show you how God saw Abraham as holy and blameless in God's sight. That's the same way he sees you also. So when you are having in the time zone, in in the zone of your day-to-day experience, when you are having a bad day and you've let your friends down or you've ripped their face off and you owe them apology, you can go to God with your conscience clean and say, God, I need more of you. Instead of doing what Adam and Eve did when they hid from God and say, we hid from you because we had sin. And God was going, I don't know about any of that. But they hid from God, and the last thing in the world you want to do is hide from God when you're having a issue, when you're not living as righteous as you want. That's the time to go to God. See, that would be the enemy telling you not to go to God, to clean up your act first. That would be the enemy, because he doesn't want to see the power of God here on earth. But it's a prerequisite to asking God for more power. 
to live the Christian life because that's the only way you're going to live an exemplary Christian life is by God's power. Like Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace was not in vain towards me, for I labored harder than all the rest. Yet it wasn't me laboring, it was the grace of God in me laboring. We need that grace of God, and we are permitted to go and ask for it. And the worst our day gets, the more we come and ask for God's grace. And I'm not talking about his undeserved kindness at Christ's expense. I'm talking about his grace as in his Holy Spirit, the power to transform you into that model Christian that you want to be. With a clear conscience. With a clear conscience. Because you know what the conscience does, Steve? Remember in I think it's in Romans 3, he was talking about the Gentiles who did not have the law. Yeah. But they show their a law into themselves, having their conscience, alternating between accusing and then excusing. Exactly. And th- that's what it does. That's what Adam did. That's for, for, first he felt guilty. Mm-hmm. Then he blamed God. Yes. He said, the woman you gave yeah. me. Eve blamed the serpent. We blame other people. I blamed you. I said, the, the reason I yelled at you, and I shouldn't have, my conscience is bothering me. But if you had left it out in the front door instead of the back door, uh, so it's your fault. So the conscience accuses and excuses, and it never gets to the, the issue of our weakness and our need to depend on the Holy Spirit to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. But with a clear conscience, I can go to God and ask for the help. I still want those tools back. <laughs> if you had left them. <laughs> but isn't that I, cool? No, no, it's a good point that you're making. Um, <laughs> that you want the tools back. <laughs> yeah, no, that it's all about being able to come to God, not feel like Adam and Eve where you want to hide from God. Your guilty conscience is not the Holy Spirit. That scene in the garden where God said, Adam, where are you? And he said, I hid because I felt naked. That came from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yes. Because he said, who told you Mm -hmm. you were naked? So a guilty conscience comes from four sources, none of which are the Holy Spirit. It comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is not the Holy Spirit. It comes from the accuser of the brethren day and night, which is not the Holy Spirit. It comes from the law, through the law is the knowledge of sin, which is not the Holy Spirit. And for even the Gentiles who didn't have the law, it says that they have a guilty conscience that alternates between accusing and excusing. None of those are the Holy Spirit. In any way, shape, matter, or form, the Holy Spirit convinces you that you're not guilty, that you're righteous. He battles against that. His ministry is righteousness. You're on my soapbox right now. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, it's just like it says in 2 Corinthians 3, maybe starting in verse 6, he also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. 
for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on tablets of stone came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory on his face fading as it was, the ministry of the Spirit will be even more glorious. For if the ministry of condemnation has a glory, that's the law of the ministry of condemnation, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Do you see how in verse 8 it says the ministry of the Spirit? And then in verse 9 it says the ministry of righteousness, meaning the ministry of the Spirit is the ministry of righteousness. When you're having a bad day and you say, I can't go to God, I've got to hide, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to say, no, you are holy and blameless in God's sight. Your sins and lawless deeds will be remembered no more. You can go back to God with a conscience clean and ask him for more of my power and God will tell me to do more things through you and I will energize you to live a sinless Christian life. But first, I have to minister to you that you're righteous because the law, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Hasetan, and our own conscience are always bombarding us saying we don't measure up and the Spirit has to have the ministry of righteousness to counteract that. It's the ministry of the Spirit that is the ministry of righteousness for the believer. And he tells you, your sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. You are an adequate minister of the gospel. The Spirit is grieved by the law. By the law. Exactly. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's in Ephesians 5. Yeah. It's funny that they were asking the question, can you fall from grace? was the first thing you always thought fall from grace oh sin a lot yeah break the law yeah do you know it actually says the way you fall from grace is to To keep keep the law law. (laughs) keep the law yeah that's That's what paul says i warn you that if you allow yourself to be circumcised that means you're entering into the covenant of law you're under obligation to keep the whole law then he says I warn you again, you who want to keep the law have fallen from grace. Yes, you have been severed from Christ. You're back in the sphere of human effort again. And now you put yourself back into the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of death. So hopefully we've brought out a real important point about Abraham's life and that was that God saw him as a cool cat the whole time and God sees you as a cool cat the whole time and you can go to him when you're having trouble pleasing the people around you and when you owe them apologies you can go to God and say I need more of your grace in my life so that I live better and all that abraham did have the clear conscience though he didn't know it he didn't know god was but he also didn't have the promised holy spirit we got both we we have it says 
the scripture announced the gospel in advance to Abraham that you'll be declared righteous. righteous. The gift of righteousness yeah. is what the Spirit. Actually, it says the Scripture announced. I know it says the Scripture in in Bible study in itself. Yeah, obviously a King James Bible popped into Abraham's yeah, hands yeah, right yeah, at the yeah. authorized version yeah. of King James. But no, I'm just being goofy. Yeah. But it announced the gospel in advance to Abraham that all people would be blessed, and it called this blessing the gift. Of righteousness. righteousness. Not earned righteousness, the gift. Yeah. We should close on that thought. Yes. Do you want to close us in prayer? Sure. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you see us holy and blameless in your sight. Thank you that you see us as righteous. Thank you that in addition to seeing us as holy and blameless, you've given us your spirit to depend on, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves and I pray Father God that you use the thoughts that came from this podcast as strong encouragement for anyone listening to the guardians out there to the people that are just getting addicted to your grace use these thoughts as strong encouragement give them an anchor for their soul when trouble comes allow them that they can go get help and receive mercy and go boldly into the throne of grace to get this help and mercy. What a privilege, Father God, that we have bold access to your spirit anytime we need it, which happens to be all the time. Keep revealing this. Use your spirit, Father God, to reveal these truths to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys. Thank you. Love you.